Take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter 15, and we're going to look at two chapters today, chapter 15 and chapter 16. Uh, Let me just tell you a little bit about the lay of the land here. Uh, Chapters 15 and 16 are all about the seven bowls of wrath, which is the final outpouring of the wrath of God in the book of Revelation. Now we'll come to chapter 17 and 18, but they, the chronology of Revelation is not in sync, okay? Chapter 17 and 18 will have already happened by the time chapter 16 happens. But what he'll do in chapter 17 and 18, he'll go back and show you how the religious and then also the economic Babylon will be destroyed. We're going to see one reference to Babylon at the end of the sermon, but this city is going to be rebuilt. It's going to be the capital for Antichrist. Yes, he will be worshipped in Jerusalem, but he's going to build a very notorious, ungodly city. He's going to resurrect Babylon, and it'll be there exactly where the Tower of Babel was raised, and God pushed it down and knocked it down. And God's going to do the same thing with this new city called Babylon. And it's going again to be the center, the epicenter for the Antichrist. And in chapters 17 and 18, they will be destroyed. So when you have 16, as soon as 16 is over, the wrath of God is over and Jesus comes back. That is in chapter 19. Now, if this is confusing you, look at me. I'm going to talk to you just like my Hebrew professor told me, that the, all of us, the first day he stepped in, we were reading this Hebrew and I couldn't, I couldn't fathom what it was because we were reading, first of all, right to left. That, weird, that was weird enough, all right? But he said, don't you guys get afraid until you see me get afraid, all right? So I'm saying to you, don't get confused and I'm not going to get confused. Chapter 19 is when Jesus comes back and what happens immediately after these six, seven plagues of the bowls is Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, all heaven is going to break loose on earth. Amen. And so it's going to be really good, but I'm just trying to give you a little lay of the land. Let me say this to you before I read, start preaching out of verse, uh, chapter 15, verse one. If we could see the glory of God, if we could see the face of God, if we could see our exalted Lord Jesus Christ right now, I know because I see it throughout the Bible. When people just saw a glimpse of God, there's only one thing to do. It's not even to raise your hands. It's not even to bow your head. It's not even to get on your knees. But when people see God, they literally lie down and get on their face before God and worship Him. If Jesus Christ walked in this room in all of His glory, we would hit the deck and we would worship the Lord. And when you see Him, that's just what happens. That's what happens to people who have been seeing Him for all eternity. He never gets old. Seeing the face of our resurrected Lord will never get old. It will never cease to be glorious and filled with wonder. I don't even know how to comprehend 
something like that. But that's what we're going to talk about today, the glory of our great God. And it's displayed in our text today, chapter 15 and 16, in three distinct ways. First of all, the great glory of our God is displayed in God's royal wonder. Chapter 15 is the shortest chapter in the book of Revelation, but it is one of the deepest. What it lacks in length, it makes up for in depth. And the first thing we see is God's royal wonder, His celestial wonder in heaven. Look at verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. Now, God's wrath has already been demonstrated many times in Revelation. Back in Revelation chapter 6, Jesus was the only one worthy in the universe to unlock the scroll and to give out the seven seals of wrath. We saw that devastation back in chapter 6. And then in chapters 8 and 9, we saw the seven trumpets of wrath. And now we come to the conclusion of God's wrath, and that is the seven bowls of wrath. They come out of heaven because God is their source. They start with God. They come to a sinful, wicked world. According to the Bible, God is a God of mercy. God is a God of grace. God is a God of forgiveness, and we're all grateful. But when people refuse to repent, God is a God of wrath. God loves sinners. He loves it when we repent. God hates it when we don't repent. God blesses sinners who repent. God punishes sinners who don't repent. God gives mercy to us when we turn from our sins. God gives wrath to all who rebel and hold on to their sin. John sees an awesome sight in verse 2. He said, I saw something like a sea of glass. Look at this now mixed with fire. John looked, he saw the throne of God, and right in front of the throne of God was a crystal platform, if you will, a sea of glass. It was shining. Moses had seen the exact same thing in the Old Testament when he was receiving the Ten Commandments of God on Mount Sinai. The Bible says in Exodus 24, verses 9 and 10, Moses went up with Aaron, that's his brother, and then Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. They didn't see His face because the Bible says you can't see His face and live, but they saw His glory. And under His feet, watch this now, there appeared to be a pavement, same thing, a sea of crystal, a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. John sees it like an ocean. And he says it's mixed with fire that's impending judgment. Verse 2 goes on to say, and those who had been victorious over the beast, that is the Antichrist and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass were holding harps of God. John saw these Christians. They had overcome Antichrist. Antichrist thought that he had overcome them when he killed them as martyrs, but they overcame him because they were washed in the blood of the Lamb. They had defied and they had defeated the beast on earth, the Antichrist. They had refused to bow down and worship his blasphemous image. 
there in Jerusalem in the temple, and they refused the number of his name, the mark of the beast. They said, we'd rather starve than to in any way acquiesce to the Antichrist. We worship Christ. They died for Jesus on earth. Now they are living in his presence in heaven. They stood before God and his throne on the glassy sea, and they were holding harps of God, obviously worshiping him. On earth, they had been battered, but now in heaven, they are being blessed. And I got news for you. I'd rather the world beat me up and then go to heaven than the world to pack me on the back and then go to hell. They sang two songs and made it one. They brought the Old Testament out with the song of Moses. They brought the New Testament out with the song of the Lamb. The song of Moses comes from Exodus 15. The song of the Lamb comes from Revelation 5. We'll look at excerpts of those in a moment, but notice the summary he gives in verses 3 and 4. They sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, great and marvelous. These are the themes of the two songs, not the exact songs. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you. For your, your righteousness, your righteous acts have been revealed. You'll remember what happened with the song of Moses. Moses had gone under the leadership of God. He had seen God in a burning bush and the bush didn't burn up. And he said, I want you to go and lead my people out of Egyptian bondage. 400 years is long enough. They had gone there under Jacob, Israel, and his 12 sons. They got there and, and they went to Egypt and Joseph had gone ahead of them to prepare the way. He was the vice president. After 13 years in jail, he became the vice president, if you will, of all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And the Bible says, though, that there arose a Pharaoh that didn't know the Lord, and he threw them all into prison and, and made them slaves for 400 years. And finally, Moses comes, and he leads them all out. It's called the Exodus, ex, out of Odas, way, the way out of imprisonment, the way out of Egyptian bondage. And they walk out, and the Bible says God sent plagues upon them, the last of which was killing their only son. And the Passover came out of that because the Bible says that all the Jewish people took the blood of lambs and put it over their doors, symbolic of the blood of Jesus that protects us from the wrath of God. And the Bible says that God sent and killed all the firstborn of Egypt. But if you had the blood, when God saw the blood, He passed over you. And the Bible says they all came out free at last after 400 years of bondage. And they're walking out and they're singing and they're praising God, but then they get to the Red Sea and they stop and they turn around. And who is on their heels? Pharaoh. He's changed his mind. But God Almighty can protect His children. And the Bible says that God, the Shekinah glory came behind them. There's a verse of Scripture in the Old Testament that says, God says, 
I am going ahead of you, and I am also your rear guard. I can handle anything in your past, and I'm going to take care of your future, and I'm with you in the present. God is a good God. Amen? And so he's the rear guard, and the Shekinah glory goes behind the people of God, sets up a, a fire a wall of fire, and Pharaoh stops dead in his tracks. And while that fire is burning, all night God sends a supernatural wind, and it blows on the Red Sea, on the Red sea and it opens it up, and it dries it out. Listen to me. They didn't walk through mud. They walked on dry land on that seabed. Let me tell you, God, when He does something, He does it right. They walked all the way through, and then as soon as they got on the other side of the Red Sea, the Bible says the fire stopped, and Pharaoh says, well, I'll just come in after you. And he went in, and you know what? Presumption comes sometimes can get you in a mess, amen. He walks in, and God shuts the whole thing on His whole army and kills them all. And the Bible says on the other side, they are seeing the remnant of their persecutors for the last 400 years floating around there, and they start to sing and praise God. You say, well, that's a very morbid thing. I got news for you. If you'd been in prison for 400 years and you'd never known anybody that even knew anything about freedom, guess what? When you got free, you'd be singing too. Amen? So I'm just going to read you. There's 27 verses. I'll just read seven of them. You'll get the gist of it out of Exodus 15. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord. For he is highly exalted, the horse and the rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. And the choices of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them. They went down into the pits like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters your enemies. And in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger, and it consumes them as chaff. Now, why in the world would these people that are being, have been saved, they martyrs during the tribulation, why would they sing this? Because just like Pharaoh, Antichrist had persecuted them. And just like the horrible times of those 400 years of imprisonment in Egypt, they had gone through the great tribulation and they knew what it was like to be in a hard place, but God had set them free. Even though they died, they were immediately in the presence of God. And so they start singing the song of Moses. But that's not enough. Aren't you glad that we've got a better song than the Old Testament? Aren't you glad that we've got the song of the Lamb as well? Amen. Jesus Christ has set us free. And so they start singing that one as well. I'll read it to you out of Revelation chapter 5, beginning at verse 8. When he had taken the book, John, the four living creatures, and Jesus, rather, and the four living creatures, and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, that's Jesus, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of all the saints. And they sang, here it is now, a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You've made them to be a, key, to, to be a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the numbers of them were myriads. That's ten thousands of ten thousands, myriads of myriads, and thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice, 
Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them. I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, that's God the Father and God the Son, Jesus, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. You can just hear them, Amen, Amen, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped God. That's what heaven's going to be like. That's what it's going to be like. If you don't loud, like loud shouting and praising God, you're not going to like heaven. If you've got to have a quiet corner, there ain't one, all right? Everybody's praising God. Everybody's excited about Jesus, and they're singing the song of the Lamb in heaven. And so these people, these martyrs, are singing both the Old and the New Covenant, the Old in Moses and the New in Jesus. Verse 5, after these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle, this is the real temple of the tabernacle, the one in heaven was opened. The one in the Old Testament tabernacle and the temple. They were similar, but they were just a model of the one in heaven. The one in the New Testament was just a model of the one in heaven. And so here John sees seven angels, and what are they carrying? They're carrying the seven bowls of wrath, and they're about to come down and cast them across the earth. Look at verse 6. And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple clothed in linen, clean and bright and girded around their chest with golden sashes. They are dressed in royalty because they serve the royal King of kings and Lord of lords forever. And the Bible says in verse 7, the one, then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Now, the word bowl, when we think about bowl, we think about, uh, you know, a big deep pit or a, a bowl like this, that's not what it is. It's a little, it's a little short saucer is what it is. Just a, the word in the Greek is just for a shallow saucer. The reason being, God is on these last bowls of wrath. He's not going to pour them out, you know, like this out of a pitcher. No, He's going to take that little shallow saucer, be filled with the wrath of God, and seven times He's going to sling it all at once like that, and it covers the whole world automatically. So you get the picture there. God is giving imminent wrath. He's giving, he's pouring it out, slashing it, slushing it out over the whole world at the same time. Revelation 15, again, look at verse 8, 8. the temple of the, was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power, and no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. There are times we see in the Bible, in the Old and now in the New Testament, when the glory of God is so brilliant and it so fills the places in heaven that everybody there has to just stop and shut down for a while because God's glory is so thick. And let me tell you something, there were times in the tabernacle and in the temple also in the Bible when God's glory would be so great that people just had to shut down and be quiet because God's presence was so thick. I want to say this to you, I'm grateful for every person here, but we don't at Bellevue, we don't want to build a worship service just to attract people. Don't get mad at me, all right? We want to attract the manifest presence of God. What does it matter 
if people come and God's not here. I'm not talking about God's omnipresence. That's everywhere, okay? That's in every alley and every street and everything else. I'm talking about the manifest presence of God where Jesus said, if two or three have gathered together in my name, that is to worship me, to be before me and to bow before me, to really engage with me, there I am in their midst. And I want to have a church when people walk out of here, they say, God was in that house. They're not talking about the sermon. They're not talking about the songs. They're not talking about the pretty uh, seats and all that stuff. They're saying God is in that place. God is in that place. God is in that place. That's what we need in our churches. We look. We need God in our government. We need God in our schools. We need God in our homes. But we need God back in our churches, all right? In the church, the house of the living God. It is not our house. It's His house. Well, I'll preach more about that some other time. God's royal wonder. Oh, praise God. It sets up, chapter 15 sets up the whole thing we're about to read now in chapter 16. And that is, the glory of God is displayed not only in royal wonder, but in God's righteous wrath. It's a hard thing, but it's true. God's glory is also seen not just in His mercy, but in His wrath. He's going to pour out His wrath on unrepentant, hardened sinners and show and manifest His glory as holy God. How's that going to happen? First of all, there's going to be a category called extreme earthly judgments. That's what I call it. Extreme earthly judgments. They're going to be just upon the land. It's going to start off with disease. Look at verses 1 and 2. You'll see the first bowl. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore. Underline that word. It's uh, really, we would call it an ulcer, but it's a malignant ulcer. It's a deadly ulcer on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshiped his image. It's the, the, the word sore is the Greek word here is the equivalent of the Latin word from which we get our word ulcer. Now, I, I can't be, I can't overstate how gross it is, all right? It is ulcerous, it is oozing, it is swollen, it is infectious, yea, it is loathsome. That means it's indescribably bad, and it is malignant, it is deadly. They wanted a mark. They took the mark of the beast. Now they're going to get the mark of God's deadly sores, the boils, these malignant sores all over their body. God is going to send it because they took the mark of the beast. They also get the boils of the Lord, disease. And then God is going to pour out bowls two and three, and they will produce wrath of pollution. Look at verses three and following. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man. Now, there's, different, there's a difference in the way blood looks. When you cut your hand or something, you see that red blood coming. That's totally different than somebody who has died, and there's blood that is exposed. It's all coagulated, and it is thick. That's what he's talking about here. It's like the blood of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. Why? Why, it, it all thickened up. The whole sea became 
It just became coagulated, and the fish couldn't breathe. There's nothing to breathe. There's no water anymore. There's no salt water. Then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers, that is the fresh water and the springs of water, and they became blood. I mean, every sea animal, every fish, everything in the rivers, ponds, and everything, look at me, no more water. Now you say, now how, how, Brother Steve, how can you get up there and call a God like that good? Look at me. God knew you were going to be thinking that. And that's why he gives a little parenthetical statement here. The the Bible says here that uh, an angel steps in just to give you guys an understanding of why it's the right thing for God to do this. You ready for this? Look at verse 5. I heard the angel of the water saying, righteous are you. He's talking to God. Righteous are you who are and who were, O holy one, because you judge these things. You judge this way. For they, these people on the earth that won't repent, they poured out the blood of saints, that is Christians, and prophets, that's preachers, who have, and they have given, you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. You reap what you sow. They had shed the blood of millions of Christians, and now God says, you want to shed their blood? You drink blood. You want to sow blood? You're going to reap blood. You're going to have exactly what you give out in life. The Bible says they deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, oh, yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. The Lord is the judge of all the earth, and I'm telling you, the judge of all the earth will do right. These people are going to be so hardened, so sinful, they're going to torture and slaughter the people of God. They're going to pour out the blood of the saints and the prophets, and God will give them blood to drink because they deserve it. Extreme earthly judgments. Well, God will also pour out His wrath using extreme atmospheric judgments. That's a long word. I'll give you a moment to write that one down. Atmospheric. Use that five times this week and everybody will think you're smart. Amen. Just go around and say, uh, I've been thinking about something atmospheric and everybody will just think you're brilliant. All right. Well, look at these, these uh, plagues. First of all, sunburn. Look at verses eight and nine. The fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat. Somehow the sun's rays will turn lethal and deadly. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah saw this. He saw this before it ever happened, hundreds of years, thousands of years before it ever happened. He says, Isaiah 24, 4 and 6, the earth mourns and withers, the world fades and withers. The exalted of the people of the earth fade away. The earth is also polluted by its inhabitants. Now, he's not talking about pollution like we talk about today. He's talking about spiritual pollution because he goes on to say it's polluted by its inhabitants for they transgress laws. They violate statutes. They break the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth. What is that curse? Those who live in it are held guilty. What are they guilty of? And what's going to happen? What's the curse? Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men are left. Isaiah saw this coming. You'd think after four bowls of wrath are going to be poured out upon them, 
that everybody would be repenting, but not so. Up to this point, the only one who is in the Bible or in the book of Revelation who is blasphemed is Antichrist, but now all of his followers are going to join in his blasphemies. Look at verse 9, the latter part. They blaspheme the name of God who has the power over those plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. Rather than bless God, they blaspheme God. Rather than repenting, they rebelled and reviled God. Then God sends another bowl of wrath, bowl five, and that's darkness. Notice the contrast. Bowl four was light. It was extreme heat. And now God goes to the exact opposite, and He pours out darkness. Now, I want to say this to you. This is a, this, let me just read the text. It's very interesting. Verse 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened. He poured out the darkness first upon the Antichrist. Let me tell you why that's important. Look at me real quick. Antichrist wants, he, he is so proud and arrogant and cocky, he wants everybody looking at him rather than at Christ. And so he's sitting on a throne Most of the time he's there in Jerusalem, he's expecting everybody to worship him and to worship his image and to do what the false prophet says, and through that he glorifies Satan, but all of a sudden he's sitting up here, just see him on his throne, and God says, oh yeah, by the way, and God flips off the light and he's in darkness. Nobody's going to see you, big boy. No, you're not going to get any praise. I share my glory with nobody. And God turns the light out. You may not think that's funny. I think it's hilarious. God's got the power to turn the lights on and off whenever He is ready. And He's going to shut the light. And you know what? It's not just physical darkness. It is a spiritual darkness. Somehow it's going to be painful. It goes on to say in verse 10, and they gnawed their tongues because of pain. They chew their tongues. And while they're chewing their tongue, they're chewing God out, if you will. They're reviling God. Verse 11, they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent. The fifth bowl of wrath will be darkness. And then the sixth bowl will be drought drought. Obviously, there's no water. That's all that can happen. And there's a reason for the drought. God is going to use some demons. God even uses demons to accomplish His work. Not that God is demonic, but God is over everything. He is sovereign. And the Bible says these demons are going to draw some people to the battle of Armageddon. The Bible says, in verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up. Again, I'm not talking about mud. I'm talking about dusty riverbeds so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. They're coming. He's luring them in. That's what God's doing. He's using, he's, we're going to see in a minute, demonic spirits to lure them in so that they will be destroyed in the battle of Armageddon. Verse 13, and I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the dragon is Satan, and out of the mouth of the beast, the beast is Antichrist, and out of the mouth, the false prophet, there's the unholy trinity, three unclean spirits like frogs. They're demonized, and they said they are spirits of demons performing signs, 
the devil can perform certain miracles. Just because somebody performs a miracle doesn't in and of itself mean that they walk with God. Sometimes miracle workers have demonic powers which go out of the kings of the whole to the kings of the whole earth to gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. There are going to be kings all over the world that don't love Christ, that have persecuted the people of Christ. And God says, I'm going to lure them all in. I'm going to take the unholy trinity, and through those demonic spirits, I'm going to call to them the enemy, the devil, and the antichrist, and the false prophet think it's going to be calling them into a great victory. But what they don't know is when Jesus comes back, it will not be a great victory for the devil. It will be the end of the devil. It will be the end of Satan's throne. It will be the end of antichrist. It will be the end of the false prophet. So God is just luring them in, and He's pulling them in. And the Bible says that God, all of a sudden, Jesus wants to encourage His Christians in a parenthetical statement. It says in verse 15, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. I want to stop right there. God is not a thief. God doesn't steal anything. The imagery means I'm coming quickly. And one of the reasons I believe in the rapture of the church People who believe that we've got to preach the gospel to the whole world and before Jesus ever comes back, Jesus was talking about the second coming. He was not talking about the rapture. There is a, a constant theme throughout the New Testament that Jesus can come back at any moment. Jesus Himself said, He says it here, I'm coming like a thief. I'm coming at a time when you don't expect me. You be watching. You be waiting. The apostles said, the, the coming of the Lord is at hand. Keep your eyes toward the Lord. Be waiting. Be watching. Nothing has to happen before Jesus comes to snatch us away like He talks about in, in uh, Luke chapter 17. Two in the field, one taken, one left. Two in the bed, one taken, one left. Jesus could come back at any moment. So when He says here, I'm coming like a thief, look at me. He can come back before I finish this sermon. And it's not just because I preach a long time. Jesus can come back anytime. Nothing has to happen before Jesus comes back in the rapture. Blessed is the one who stays awake. Stay awake. Keep your clothes on. Stay clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and the whole armor of God so that He will not walk about naked and men will not see His shame. Don't you fall. Don't you fall in the hard days that are ahead, Christians of Bellevue. Don't you fall into sin. You walk with God. I don't care what anybody else does. It does what your family does. When anybody, you walk with God, and you keep the whole armor of God on, and you stay dressed in the Lord Jesus Christ every day. Walk with Him, and don't be found naked and shameful when He comes back. He's reassuring these Christians who got saved during the Great Tribulation that they did good, and now they need to st stay awake spiritually. Look, look forward to the coming of the Lord. And then he says in that verse 16, they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Har-Mageddon. Now, I've got to just look at the screens. All you folks online, I don't know what to tell you what to do, uh, but you can't see the screens. All right, so here you go. Here's the tell of Megiddo, the hill of Megiddo. And the way they do this, you might see layers in here. Really, some of that is just the, where the sheep walk, but there are layers under here. What they do in uh, this area is whenever they build a new city, like when they wipe out a city, they'll build a new one right on top of it. So that's why these tells, these hills are just generations of cities that have been here at Megiddo. Megiddo, right here, 
is right above the valley of Megiddo, and we call it Armageddon. We also call it the Jezreel Valley, and it is huge. There, there have been over 200 battles that have taken place on these plains out here. Every time we go to Israel, I've been there about a dozen times to this tell. I've been to Israel 15 times, but I've been up on this tell, and, and when we look out across here, it is breathtaking to look at this valley. I wanted to show it to you on a map very quickly. This is uh, Megiddo right here. There's Mount Carmel. That's where Elijah was when the fire came down. This is the valley right here. This is the valley of Jezreel. All through here, it goes down through here, and then it splits. It goes down through here. And the Bible says that the blood is going to flow for 200 miles when Jesus comes back and destroys Antichrist and his forces and all these kings that have been gathered together under false pretense thinking they're going to defeat the lamb. I got news for you. The lamb has already won the battle. Amen. He's already won the battle. So that's the sixth bowl of drought. And then the last bowl is devastation. Devastation. I don't know what else. The, think of the worst word you can think of and put that word there because this devastation that's going to happen is going to an earthquake is going to reform the world like it was geographically during the garden of eden look at verse 17 then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying it is done notice verse 18 and there were flashes of lightning sounds and peals of thunder those are marks of god's judgment on the earth and then an unprecedented unprecedented earthquake. There came an earthquake, a great earthquake, such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it and so mighty. The, the Lord says, it is done. Thunder, lightning, earthquake. What happened when Jesus died? It is finished. Thunder, lightning, darkness, and an earthquake. God repeats himself, does he not? to give clarity, to know that it's God. And this earthquake is going to move, it's going to move out islands. What is an island? It's just a mountain in the ocean, and it's going to be leveled. That's why the, the, there won't be any islands. And then the mountains are all going to be leveled. It's going to be rolling hills. It's going to be beautiful, just like it was when God created Adam and Eve and put them in the Garden of Eden. Verse 19, the great city was split into three parts. This is Jerusalem being divided. And guess what? The Old Testament prophets saw it coming. Listen to Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4 and following. In that day, his feet, whose feet? Messiah's feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Where did Jesus ascend from? From the Mount of Olives. Where is he coming back? to the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in the middle from east to west by a very large valley so that half of the mountain will be moved toward the north and the other half toward the south. You will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Now watch, look at the end of verse 5. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. We're going to come back with the Lord Jesus. I'll preach about that in a few weeks in Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. Now, in that day there will be no light 
the luminaries will dwindle. That is, all the stars won't need them anymore. Not going to have to have any light because the Lord will be the light. Verse 7, for it will be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor light. But it will come about that at evening time there will be light. And in that day, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem. That's because Jesus Christ gives the living water. It's going to flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea. Which sea is that? The Dead Sea. It's going to come to life. The Bible says there's going to be fish in that. I've been in that thing many times. There's not a fish in the whole thing. But hear me, it's going to come back to life. The one that rose from the dead can even, he can even make the Dead Sea the real living sea. Amen. They're going to have to rename it. And the Bible says that it's going to flow also toward the western sea. What is that? That's the Mediterranean. It will be a summer in summer as well as in winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. King Jesus will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one and His name the only one. And, and all the land, here it is, will be changed into a plain from Geba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site from Benjamin Gate as far as the place of the first gate to the corner gate and from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. People will live in it and there will be no longer be a curse for Jerusalem will dwell in security. Jerusalem is going to be the capital of the world, and Jesus will be King of kings and Lord of lords for a thousand years. There will be peace on this planet, and living water is going to flow all around because Jesus Christ is going to be on His throne. Let's praise God for that. Can we do that right now? Let's go back now real quickly to Revelation 16. Look at verse 19. And the cities of the nations fell. Babylon, that's the city that Antichrist is going to build close to where the old Tower of Babel was. Babylon the Great was remembered before God. And we'll study about the fall of Babylon in the next two chapters. To give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away and the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones, verse 21, about 100 pounds each. The heaviest piece of hail that's ever been measured didn't even weigh two pounds. And now something 50, pound, 50 times more is going to come and destroy so many homes and so many people came down from heaven above and upon men. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. Oh, the glory of God is going to be displayed in extreme earthly and atmospheric judgments, God's righteous wrath. The glory of God is going to be displayed in God's royal wonder. The glory of God is going to be displayed in God's righteous wrath. And just, I just have just a minute or two to show you the last thing. The glory of God is going to be displayed in mankind's relentless wickedness. God is saving those people who harden their hearts, those wicked people, to experience the wrath of His glory. Look at verses 9, 11, and 21 very quickly. Verse 9, men were scorched with fierce heat. They blasphemed. They cursed the name of God who has the power over these plagues. They did not repent so as to give Him glory. Verse 11, and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, that is their ulcers, and they did not repent of their deeds. Verse 21, huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because of its plague was extremely severe. 
They are going to love Antichrist. They're going to love the false prophet. They're going to love Satan so much. They're going to love their sin so much that even during all of this, all of this retribution, all of this wrath, they're going to look God in the eye and curse their Creator and curse Jesus, their potential Redeemer, and curse the Holy Spirit. And God will rightfully pour out His wrath, and in that, He will be glorified. He will be glorified. You don't mock God. You don't blaspheme the name of God. The third of the Ten Commandments says it this way, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. They're going to blaspheme the name of Jesus, and Jesus is going to pour out wrath upon them. I want to say this to you. If we could see heaven right now, we would do what Isaiah did. We would hit the deck and say, woe is me. I am unclean, and I live among unclean people. God is a holy, glorious God, and He's going to show that through the seven bowls of wrath, and then He's going to show it completely when His Son Jesus, who is the glory of God, comes back to earth. The whole future is planned. You hear what I just said? The world is not out of control. Everything is coming to a planned end. We are like little specks of dust, if you will, but when you get to know Jesus, He loves every speck, amen? And He's blowing everything exactly toward His conclusion. And everything we read in the Bible will take place. Regardless of men blaspheming, regardless of people teaching blasphemous things in our schools, regardless of anything that happens, look at me, regardless of people saying, well, it's okay for a casino to be open, but now you churches, you shut down. I thank God that we've got some pastors across America who've said enough is enough. If the casinos can be open, we can be open. Amen. You pray, you pray for our friend John MacArthur. Thank God for that man. Amen. Thank God for him and others like him. But I want to say in the end, God will have the final say. And in a way, God's already had the final say. It's going to be exactly the way He said. And He is a glorious God. All week I've been thinking about an old hymn that's kind of where my mind goes. To God be the glory. Great things He has done. So loved He the world that He gave us His Son who yielded His life and atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear His voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. 
Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give Him the glory. Great things He has done. Let's give Him praise right now. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord.